Start hoiking, Katie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely <a> horrible sound. <laughs> Definitely running out of moisture in my mouth. So what we're learning here is that gathering your DNA is not a glamorous process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is not. One more, I think one more little spit. Welcome to Superfad, a podcast from Stuff. I'm Laura Walters. And I'm Katie Kenny. In this podcast series, we delve into the weird and wonderful world of trends. We've looked at things like waist trainers, and last week we covered cryptocurrency, and today we're talking about DNA mapping. Yeah, we really cover a broad range of trends. And what you just heard earlier, and sorry for the, for the horrible sound, but that was Katie spitting into a tube to collect her DNA. I was trying out one of these new direct-to-consumer tests which have helped DNA go completely mainstream. A scientist will be telling us how they actually work. And later in the episode we'll hear from a genealogist and from one woman who had some very surprising ancestry results. But first... Back to me spitting in a tube. And Katie is just opening it up now for the first time. It's just a, a small white box and um, she's going to walk us through the process of... Um, gathering her DNA for want of a better description. I have a, there's a container in here with a plastic tube. It looks very professional, like it's, it looks like a a sterile medical plastic container. Very sterile. So according to the instructions, I fill the tube with saliva to the black line. That. There's quite a lot of saliva. (laughs) It's a lot of spitting. Um, Or just above the line. uh, Apparently it's less than a quarter of a teaspoon. We're going to pause here because we don't really want to put you through the agony of listening to Katie's spitting anymore. Weeks earlier I had ordered that kit online from Ancestry.com and in order to trace my ancestry all it needed was a little bit of spit sent back to them so that they could process it. Um, We should probably put in a disclaimer here that they didn't charge us for the kit. Oh, it has a warning on here. By sending your sample, you acknowledge that your sample will be processed by Ancestry DNA in the United States for the purposes described in and archived consistent with the terms and conditions available online. They will hold your DNA forever. Yes. They may make a Katie clone at some point in the future. That's okay with me. So there are two options when you order one of these DNA test kits. You can just trace your ancestry, which means you'll find out who your ancestors are and your ethnic makeup. Or for a little bit more, you can get all of your raw genetic data, which basically tells you who you are and if you're going to be more likely to get certain types of diseases like diabetes. To provide a bit of context about how remarkable it is that we can actually do this, we don't need to go very far back in time. In 1953, we first figured out the double helix structure of DNA and then in the early 2000s we had the Human Genome Project which was a big international effort to sequence all 23 pairs of chromosomes that basically make humans humans. That was done for many millions of dollars but now we're doing essentially the same thing but for a little over a hundred dollars. Yeah, I think the Ancestry kit that you didn't pay for (laughs) was about $99 and people are really taking advantage of this um, accessibility to these kits. 
Ancestry.com has about 6 million samples of DNA in their database, and tens of thousands of those are in New Zealand. And to give you an idea of how much this is blowing up, over just four days of their Black Friday sale, they sold 1.4 million test kits. So a lot of people would have gotten those for Christmas. And this is kind of concerning for some scientists who say that people are entering into an entirely private sphere and it's not regulated and it can be a little bit unethical at times. So I went down to Wellington Hospital and met up with Dr Kate Nees who is in charge of the central hub of the National Genetic Service. We're hearing more and more about genetic tests as they're kind of moving into the mainstream and everything. How does genetic testing actually work? So until quite recently, when we were talking about genetic tests, we would be thinking about doing a test to look at the sequence or the letter code, if you like, um, of a particular recipe. So we would have had a suspicion that a person had a particular condition, for example, achondroplasia, and we would go in and we would look at the particular gene for that disorder and look for particular spelling mistakes within that gene that might cause a problem. Um, so that's how we used to do it. Um, more recently, um, we've been able to look at a lot more of the coding genetic information more cost efficiently. And so sometimes if people come in with a slightly less well um, described presentation, then we might look at a number of different genetic recipes in a thing we call a panel. So we might look at the code or the sequence of a number of different recipes together. And so we can do those kinds of tests. Um, I guess the next stage from all of that is to look at all of the coding genetic information in the body in a test called an exome. So that's basically looking at stuff that we know has to do with the recipes that make humans who they are and kind of looking for mistakes in uh, across the whole or almost all of our genetic information. So when you've got, um, and you mentioned sometimes you have people coming in who might have taken a like a kit test or something that claims to show you know your likelihood of getting a certain type of disease or something I mean basically what are your thoughts on those and and what are the limitations of them that people should be aware of there are various um, tests which we call direct to consumer genetic tests or DTC tests um, that are available and and as you described they often um, require very little from a person so you can um, request the kit to come from the company and often they just require a sample of saliva or sometimes a, a scraping of your cheek or something like that and so you can do that yourself you don't need to go to the lab or anything and you pop it back in this envelope and then you send it back. Um, the companies then go through um, and do some variety of genetic an analysis of that sample and the different companies do different types of analysis but most of what they're looking for are small genetic variations um, from the normal sequence as we currently understand it. Mm -hmm. But it's quite complex information and the way it comes back to the consumer who's requested the test doesn't necessarily give them the idea that it's so complex and so sometimes you can read the information and become quite concerned about your risk of a particular health problem and actually the scientific information wouldn't necessarily back up that degree of concern that you've got. So I guess you asked me what to think about them. <laughs> I mean, overall, um, I guess I guess I think it's part of modern life and um, there's no point kind of feeling 
too too disturbed by these things because it's always going to happen but I do think that um, the population needs to become more literate in genetics and genomics in order to be able to engage with this type of technology mm. safely mm. Yeah. Is, the, is the tech maybe outpacing society's literacy and understanding of, of, of the whole thing? It certainly would appear to be the case um, and, and to be honest it's outpacing the knowledge of many medical practitioners at the moment as well because you know many doctors and you know practice nurses and things like that um you know we're we're trained in the day before this technology existed certainly in the way that it currently does and so they don't have a very good scientific understanding of the technology themselves. I guess this is probably more of an ethical thing but if you've got people who uh, um, you know, for simply curiosity's sake, taking these tests and wanting to know more about their DNA as opposed to, you know, people who come into you because they think that they have a medical reason for doing so. What's the value in knowing? Is there a value in knowing that maybe I'm, you know, got a 37% increased chance of developing diabetes at whatever age? Is that helpful? So, even the companies that provide these tests. Um, and I, I guess I would recommend that, that you look on the, on the websites and read the information, but they themselves provide a disclaimer which says that the information they provide is for um, educational benefit or something um, and not to be used for health care or altering medications. It's quite specific what they say and the reason that they say that is because in fact they don't want people out there going and changing their lifestyle or um, health choices on the basis of this information because medico-legally that would put them at risk. So I guess if you read that you can infer from that that even the companies themselves that are selling this information don't really feel comfortable in people using it for healthcare purposes. The results from these tests can be controversial for other reasons. One of the most high-profile uses of these test kits was that of Orini Kaipara, who works for Māori Television. Last year, she did one of the tests from Ancestry DNA, and it came back saying that she was 100% Māori, which caused a huge reaction and a lot of discussion in New Zealand because the commonly held belief was that there are no 100% Māori people left in New Zealand. We did that story at the start of the year and, yeah. you know, we're at the end of the year now and I still get people, and it's great, it's cool, you know, yeah. I don't mind, but I still get people who kind of look at me and they go, oh, 100%, you know, people I <laughs> meet on the channel like, oh, okay, oh, you saw the story, okay, yeah. and, you know, even like yeah. Sir Mark Solomon when we are doing the elections and um, hmm. our election coverage and yeah. hey, that's the first thing he said to me. He goes, I, I'm so pleased for your results. You know, I saw the DNA test story and I'm <laughs> laughing going, oh, we actually have to talk about politics, not my DNA test. It's, because, no, it's no, no, funny you know, the things people remember, right? It's obviously uh, the stuff that means and I, something that's to them. It. Yeah. It's just funny, you know, I've been over to Australia a couple of times this year for holiday and for work and yeah, straight off the cuff people straight away, oh, 100% Māori, you're that lady. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You'll always be remembered okay. as the 100% Māori. Always be remembered <laughs> yeah. as that lady, I suppose. Orini and her producer always knew that this story was going to get a lot of feedback. So before the story actually aired, her producer sat her down and discussed whether she was willing to put herself out there like that. They expected some positive feedback, but they also expected quite a bit of negative 
um, what I found really intriguing, though, in terms of the, the reaction we got was a lot of Māori, you know, quite up in arms about it and, you know, saying that, you know, you don't need, why would you take a test to, de- you know, to determine whether or not you're Māori? Don't you know you're a Māori? I'm like, well, of course I do. And if you knew me, you'd know that I know I'm, you know, that I live and breathe being Māori every day, whether it's speaking Māori or, you know, doing Māori things on a daily basis. Orini decided to take the test on the spur of the moment. She says it was an interesting thing to do, but it hasn't at all changed her perspective of who she is or her identity as a Māori person. Growing up um, in a total immersion, real Māori environment from the time I was born to now, you know, I'm part of you know a Māori, Māori communities, my family all speak Māori. We go home often. You know, I do the kapa. Yeah. So, no, the DNA test did not define who I am, nor did it change my perspective or outlook on, you know, who I am as, you know, a two-way descendant, to an Aotearoa descendant, or a two-whariko person. I'm still the same person, but if I'm honest, what it has done, it's just kind of made me think a lot more harder about... I don't know. Hang on, I've got to think about this. It's not so much a sense of responsibility, but it's just, you know, it's just kind of heightened my awareness or just my outlook on, okay, you know, what am I really doing in terms of, you know, embodying who I am as a Māori person? Am I doing enough or, you know, am I giving enough in terms of, you know, um, contributing my language, you know, helping the promotion of my language or of my culture or, you know, my heritage, am I doing enough to, you know, to champion Māori things, Māori language, Māori customs, Māori culture? Because I know it's in me, but what am I doing exactly? And is it enough? Am I doing enough with my children, you know, for them to know and be proud of who they are and where they come from? Laura, you've done one of these tests before, haven't you? Yes, I did one of these tests back in 2015, and the database was smaller at the time, but I still found out quite a bit about my ethnic makeup. What did it say? So overall, it wasn't surprising. Most of my ancestors came from um, either Scotland or Ireland. That was about 30%. 20% was Western European, which is French or German, and about 19% were from Great Britain. Was there anything that was a little bit unusual or surprising? Yeah, so I I thought it was really cool that about 14% was Scandinavian. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so it probably means that I'm descended from Vikings. Oh, yeah, nice. I know. <laughs> um, and they, they would have moved to, to Great Britain. Um, and other than that, the, the surprising thing was I was between zero, 0 and 3% Italian or Greek and most likely Italian because I have, well, we found out from the Ancestry.com people who who trace back through records that I had some relatives called the Cassinis that moved from Italy to the UK and they made pianos. Huh. I wonder if I will also have Italian relatives, given that people always confuse us and say that we look alike. (laughs) Yeah, every day. (laughs) So so that service where they researched your family specifically, was that in addition to the DNA testing? Exactly. And um, so that's quite separate to the DNA testing. That's what a traditional genealogist would do. And we actually spoke to someone who works as a genealogist every day, Gail Wilson-Wearing. She works on the TV3 show Lost and Found. And her job is, is connecting people 
people like this, finding their ancestors or connecting them with um, long-lost relatives, essentially. And she said that these kits aren't the be-all and end-all. There's still a place for, for people like her in the profession, but it's definitely given them another tool to work with. Why are people buying DNA kits? Well, for a lot of people, it's just so they can find out their ethnicity. It seems to be, I think, a bit of a fad at the moment. There's a a lot of people who are doing it will never do research their family tree or don't have anything to find out. They're they're not buying subscriptions to Ancestry. They're just doing their tests. Um, um, But this is resulting in a lot of people getting some nasty shocks. Um, I've had three applicants in the last month who've taken a DNA test to find out that their dad wasn't their dad. (laughs) I think you should realise that, you know, it it is a very powerful tool and it might not tell you what you were expecting. Gail says not everyone feels the need to connect with their family. She's connected long-lost relatives before and, and after that first meeting they didn't want to have anything else to do with each other. But she said that most people do want to feel a sense of belonging. I think for the majority of people, you do want to feel as if you belong. And, you know, there's, there's sort of little communities, you know, it's like, you know, if you, if you belong to a gym, it's a sense of belonging. You know, like you're, you're in a little community and it's like when you go to work, you're, your colleagues, it's part of a community. And I think as human beings... We live in communities. We're not. We're not isolated, and I think, I think we need to feel as if we belong. You know, and I, th- I think, you know, that yes, there are a lot of lonely people out there, and I, th- I, I think, I think we do better if we're part of a family and part of a group. Katie, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. It is time to hear your test results. Brad Argent from Ancestry called me uh, while I was sitting at my desk and he delivered the breakdown of where my family was originally from. Hello, Katie speaking. Oh, hi, Katie. It's Brad Argent from Ancestry. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. How's it going? So I have your DNA results in front of me. Oh, cool. So now I, I know... Nothing about your family history. So this is just what the what the science tells me. Okay. So your your biggest chunk of ethnicity is Irish, which is with a certain McKenney. It's not that surprising. Yeah. No. No. That's not surprising. Um. So that's forty seven percent. And then the next biggest chunk is Great Britain, which is forty one percent. And then you've got uh, Scandinavia, which is 8%. Right, okay. Right? Um, so then that leaves sort of like 3% left over, and there's a little bit of Iberian Peninsula in there, which is Spain and Portugal, and then a little bit of Finland and northwest Russia. Mm-hmm. That's looking back over the last, you know, one or 2,000 years. Looking back over how many years, sorry? Well, one or two, one, between one and 2,000 years. Wow, okay, that's a really long time. Um, now, the Great Britain is 41%. The average British person is 40%, so it's slightly above average. And then we look at the, the other thing that, um, that DNA does, is it connects you with people who are already in the network. And um, you, you've got quite a few. 
Oh, really? Yeah. So you have two close family, actually, no, three close family matches. Oh, okay. Um, and they all seem to be from the one family. Um, so usually this is kind of the point where I go, um, are you okay with me taking you through this? Only oh, because yeah, no, some, no, no. Uh, cause, you know, sometimes the results that we people get back when they do this might contradict what they think they know about their parentage. <laughs> no, no, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm uh, okay. curious. How close is close? <laughs> so, um, let me have a look at um, the, the person that's uh, Julie. This person's name is Julie. It's Ardag, A-R-D-A-G-H. Yep, Ardag, yep. Yes. Um, now, she's quite a close match with you. Um, yes, she's my auntie. So the results revealed that I am related to my auntie. She had also taken the test and that's why she was showing up as a very close relative in the system. Brad then rattled off a bunch of other names which didn't really mean very much to me, kind of second cousins right through to fourth cousins. I hadn't actually heard of them before, but it's interesting to know that they exist. I probably won't be getting in touch though. The next closest match you've got is... uh Gail Glover. It looks like her father is Alan Glover and her grandfather is uh, Joseph John Glover. Hmm. I don't know if that name means anything to you. Uh, I might recognise it, but I don't, um, I don't think I know her personally. Katie, now that you know more about your family history and where you've come from, has it piqued your interest to connect with any more of your relatives or or you know, changed your perception of who you think you are? <laughs> I don't think it's changed my perception of who I think I am. My mum has always been really into researching our family history. So I did know quite a lot of detail about where they came from and who they were. So it wasn't a surprise to hear that her research was in line with the truth. Mm. Um, from the personal story point of view, I think it's interesting to, to learn more about it. But... Um, at this point, I don't think the test actually added too much to what I already knew. But for other people, obviously, it's a totally different story. Yeah, it seems to be a really great way into finding out more about your relatives and your ancestors. And you especially find that um, a lot of older people want to do it, you know, as, as they start to start to get on, they want to find out more about their family. And it, and it seems like a nice, um, light-hearted family activity, but... Got to remember that. Okay, did you hear me spitting? <laughs> that would not be a nice family activity. <laughs> sitting around the dinner table, spitting into tea. But I know what you mean. Yeah, a lot maybe, of people maybe opening the results to buy these things for Christmas presents or birthday presents. Exactly, but it shouldn't be taken lightly, right? Because you never know what the results are going no, to no, going to reveal, no. and it could can be quite a traumatic experience, as Gail said earlier. You know, some people have no idea that their father isn't their father until they get the results of these tests and it can, can upend their family and, you know, what, what they think about themselves. Tear families apart. Exactly. Yes. And I didn't opt for the option of getting my health results. I just went for the ancestry test. But more and more people are doing that as it 
becomes cheaper and cheaper. As Kate said, the rate that the technology is developing, it's pretty hard to imagine where we'll be in five years' time. Maybe I'll opt for my health results then, but at this point, I don't really see a benefit in doing that. Yeah, and she did say that because this area is evolving so quickly, our understanding a lot of the time can't keep pace and that um, you know brings up some of the, the ethical dilemmas. If we, if we don't fully understand the ramifications, then that could be potentially quite dangerous. And it's not a regulated space either. These are private companies doing, you know, the analysis, the collection, providing the results, and it's not informed by public health systems or the usual, you know, checks that that it would go through if it was done through that that system. Yeah, and there have been concerns that these companies store people's DNA and have no idea what they're doing with it beyond these tests. So, you know, it's another thing to just keep in mind. sent away your spit in a tube to find out who your ancestors are or more about your genetics? We would love to hear from you, especially if your results were surprising. And to learn more about our journey and the limitations of DNA mapping, go to the Superfab page on Stuff, stuff.co.nz forward slash superfad. You can also join our Superfad Facebook group where Laura and I will answer any questions and share extra stories and photos from the recording process. We'll also be doing Facebook Live videos every Monday where we discuss in more detail the issues raised in each episode. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kenny Katie. And I'm at Walters Laura. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Next week we'll be taking a look at TV binging. And for that we'll be vegging out on the couch. It'll be riveting. Trust us. <laughs> this episode was made by us. Alex Liu is our technical producer and John Hardevelt is our executive producer.